0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross
1: and Benjamin Kowalski.
0: Let's talk freight. Welcome back for episode 159 of the Freight 360 Podcast. We've got another special episode today. We've got a guest on with us. We'll, we'll get there in just a second. Uh, but first, if you're brand new with us, welcome to Freight 360. And if you've been following us for a while, we appreciate you being back. Welcome back to another great episode. Continue to share us with all of your friends in the industry. Leave that review on iTunes. Leave comments on YouTube. Keep sending us questions. we got a, an action-packed episode with a good uh, set of listener Q&A towards the end here. Um but without further ado, today's episode is going to be... Well, first of all, this, today's episode is brought to you by Blue Book Services. Blue Book Services is the re- resource you need if you're transporting fresh produce. Their online database contains thousands of companies throughout the produce industry supply chain. You can easily search their database to generate new sales leads. Blue Book's credit ratings help you avoid companies with high credit risk. And their team can help resolve disputed loads. To learn more, go to ProduceBlueBook.com and click on Join Today. Again, that's ProduceBlueBook.com. And we will have uh, a guest from Produce Blue Book on again uh, twice more later this year. But today, we've got an awesome episode. We have Cameron Pisci from Valley Trucking Insurance on with us. Cameron, welcome to the show. How are you today,
2: man? Hey, what's happening, guys? I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dude. our pleasure, our pleasure. So, uh, um, Ben, how you doing? You know, you're in the you're in the midst of a hurricane down in South Florida.
1: That I am, but I'm on the outskirts. So if I disappear, it's because we lost power. So at the very least, the (laughs) two of you will be able to continue on. We're on mostly tornado (laughs) warnings the rest of today, but flooding, and we're outside of the cone, so doing better than some others in Florida. Cool, cool, Cameron. Welcome to the show, man. Um,
0: so today's episode, we'll get into the topic, and you know, shortly here, but we're going to talk claims. Um, so I mean, I. Basically, you, you know, you you work in the insurance realm with Valley. Give us just a brief background on kind of what you're doing currently, how you got into it, and um, you, you know, we like you know before before that, we we always when we bring a guest down, we want a subject matter expert. So clearly, that is something that you can uh, stand up to the test on with insurance and claims and whatnot. So give us a little bit of a background on you and
2: what you currently got going on. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I started insurance pretty much shortly after high school. So I turned 20, I went straight into insurance and sales and um, transportation contractors, pretty much commercial insurance. That's what I've known for my entire career. Um, started a trucking and transportation department at the current insurance agency that I own. Um, i quite a few years ago now, and it's just blown up. It's it's taken off. We work with carriers, freight brokerages, warehouse, pretty much anything surrounding and to do with the trucking and transportation. Um, higher level education and becoming, as you had mentioned, kind of a, an expert of sorts or at least highly educated in the field that I'm working in um, is something that I do and all my staff do and take pride in. And so... Um, yeah. Every, I've, I've got a podcast, which is actually how I met Ben that we deal with and for the trucking industry. And that's, that's my day to day life, man. I, my family was truck drivers growing up from Washington state to Florida. My aunt and uncle team drove and I grew up in the shop with them, you know, looking at the big rig and watching them wrench on it and stuff like that. That's kind of what I grew up around. So I just had a natural attraction towards it. And I love what I do. Awesome, man. So what's your, what's your podcast called? Just so folks can check it out. Yeah, for sure. Get a load of this trucking podcast and it's on nice. Apple, Spotify. Yeah. Right. A little play on words. And, and it's not insurance for those that are thinking that like, in fact, we don't talk about insurance really. It's just kind of our way to give back, um, bring on industry experts, reach out to folks that are doing the I th- things that I think are cool or innovative or progressing the industry, bringing resources and availability and talking to folks that are on the trucker's sides. So, Cool. Awesome. We'll we'll definitely be picking your brain today. Uh, we, we do definitely need to
0: discuss some sports talk here. Um, I am Cameron, you may not know if you can see me, I'm wearing a Buffalo Bills hoodie and I am I live in Buffalo. So uh, every week I've been making my prediction on on the Bills and Ben, as a Steelers fan, we've, we've talked about his, uh, his Pittsburgh Steelers. And I made a, a third week bold prediction that the Bills were going to win by 14 points or 10 but double digits. And, well, we got our first loss. And um, Josh Allen puts up 400 yards. Tua Tungavailoa puts up, like, 180. And somehow um, the Bills lose by two. It would have been four except for, um, I don't know if you guys saw, the, the butt punt where uh, Miami's uh, special teams comes out to punt out of the end zone and the kicker ends up hitting his – his personal uh, basically security detail right up in the right up in the butt there and it kicks out of bounds and it's a safety, which puts the Bills within two points. And then uh, clock management was terrible and uh, Bills couldn't get the ball snapped when they were ready to kick a field goal, the game winning field goal at the end of the game. So they, they walked off with a loss. But there was a lot of mistakes. Um you don't put up 400 yards, go to the red zone that many times and not score touchdowns. So um, I'm going to shake this one off. You know, we're midweek now, getting ready to go into week four. So I'm, you know, the depression is starting to subside a little bit. But
1: um, yeah, that's, my, that's two, my Buffalo Bills. First two games I've watched in probably two NFL seasons. I got to watch the Steeler game because it was finally televised on Prime last Thursday didn't go so well. And I nope. actually and I and I was like, sweet, the Bills game's televised because they played the Dolphins. So I watched that game. <laughs> I'm like, only two <laughs> games I watched in like two seasons. I'm like, both. And you watch two losses. Close to yeah. Yeah. Um
0: Cameron, the Bills, you were telling us you're Bills a Bills Niners too. fan. You guys you guys had a pretty um, it was a primetime game, right? Was that Sunday night?
2: Yeah. And Denver, uh,
0: Denver pulls it off.
2: Oh, against that was low scoring. It's brutal. Yeah. That was an ugly game. That was a terrible game, actually. And as a Niners fan in the Pacific Northwest, I got to deal with all the Seahawk hecklers and including my family. So anytime, including Russell Wilson being at Denver, I just root that we just destroy Russell Wilson in the backfield and sack him and keep him from running. Like, that's my whole objective uh, for rooting on that. And I would have bet the mortgage on the Bills beating Miami with the 14-point spread too, man. So, yeah, it was – I think uh, football was drunk this weekend. It was a crazy weekend. You
0: had – who else lost? You had Kansas City took a loss – yeah, it was that was just I don't know. It was a weird week, but um, hey, it's early on in season. It is what it is. Um, Tampa Bay lost as well.
2: Yeah, so. Aaron Rodgers uh, beat beat Mister Brady, which is good. Yep.
0: yep. So, and then did you guys see the Dallas and the Giants game Monday night? Where it was <laughs> like it was nah. just so bad at first, and then out of nowhere, um, Dallas just started throwing points up and won by. I don't know seven or eight points or something like that. But Lamb uh,
2: had that one handed catch in the like that was an amazing catch. I was like, holy cow!
0: You got a lot of Cowboys fans hopping on the Cooper Rush train right now. So (laughs) yeah, they do. Yep. But anyway, that's sports. Um, I'll give my my week four predictions at the end of the episode here, Uh, Ben. Let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT, and then let's talk about claims
1: and insurance, man. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge.
0: Definitely. Okay. Claims, insurance. I mean, let's start insurance, right? To, to start, just to kind of lay the ground groundwork here. Um, we get in this, you know, for anyone that's been listening to us for a few years now, uh, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, you're going to get some duplicate information, but we have to kind of, we have to hit some basics here. So we often get the question, Cameron, from from newer folks. They're like, hey, what, what insurance do I need as a freight broker? Um, and then even, you know, We've had questions too. If I'm a if I'm an asset-based carrier, what kind of insurance policies do I need? So let's break it down. Um, I know there's a lot of subjectiveness to this answer, but there's, there's a very, very basic answer for the brokerage side. So can you just give us the rundown? If someone's going out there, they're going to get their own authority from the FMCSA. What kind of insurance are they going to be required to get as a freight broker?
2: Yeah, no, good question. And it's one that we get a lot because we work with... Uh, anywhere from a new brand new startup to a very well-established brokerage that's been in the business for years and years. Uh, The the main one, and like the the one that everyone's going to have to get is the bond. And that's a little bit dependent based upon credit and the financial strength of the client bonds or surety typically rely on that. So that's the first thing you'll basically secure as you're getting the brokerage set up, your authority um, lined out with FMCSA, getting your contract situated. And then from there, the the major ones that we will typically work with a client on are going to be contingent cargo. Obviously, make sure the freight is covered in the event that the carrier's insurance isn't enough or doesn't cover for whatever reason. Um, General liability, uh, for the freight brokerage itself and then the hired auto and the non-owned auto portion in the event they get drug in and an auto liability claim because the attorneys pretty much follow the contract and they want to see who has money and where can they get money. So those are the big ones. And then from there you get warehousing and um, mm-hmm. assets and property and cross stock. And like it, like you said, there's a lot of additional things you can branch out into. So
0: Yeah. And I want to remind everyone too. So insurance, yeah is a way for you to offset risk, right? And you could you potentially buy insurance for just about everything, but at the end of the day, there comes there comes a, a point where you have to decide, is it worth the cost to me to, you know, you know how much risk am I willing to take on? And you get to a point where the risk is so small that it's not worth paying an exorbitant amount of extra money to add on stuff that you never really need. And Ben, you and I have talked about it a lot. You know, that general liability is very common, that contingent cargo is common. Your customer's, contract and your customers' um, requirements are going to typically dictate when you're going to change your policy. They might say, hey, we need you to have X amount of liability. You know, you need to have an umbrella for X amount for some of these bigger companies. And a lot of times they don't even know why they're asking for certain insurance, um, but they're going to ask for it. And if you want to play ball with them, you've got to. We've literally had situations where um, the the owner of the company that I work for, Pierce, he's been on the phone with... um, attorneys at a, at a certain customer explaining to that. And he's had it our insurance agent now with them explaining why, you know, why, why is it that you think, that, why are you asking for this policy? What are you trying to do with it? Because it's not, this is not what you're, it doesn't, it doesn't suit what you're trying to solve. And they just, they have no, a lot of them just don't understand what they're talking about. I would say more
1: often than not, by the way, like I've been on not only with my own customers, but you know, on with other people that I had on my team and their customers and shippers. And like, I would say that's like the rule, not the exception that most of the points of contact at the shippers are like, I don't know, our attorneys came up with it. That's our contract. And we're reading and we're just like, but we don't own assets, but you're treating us like a trucking company. We're not a trucking company. like. We can't even buy these types of policies. Like, what is, to your point, what is the goal with make it, requiring us to have this? I don't know. Yeah. They just put it in the no, contract.
2: They, I think um, you kind of labeled it there. The attorneys are in charge of the contract, right? And what do the attorneys want to do or what are they after?
1: Mitigate they're everything. After, Nobody needs yeah. to do any business. Yeah. They'll yeah, just ground after, everything to a halt.
2: <laughs> they're after buckets of money. And so they're going to throw in, or. They've got an old contract that some attorney drafted umpteen million years ago and never updated it, but at the time it made sense, or maybe they came from a different industry and it was like, oh, that's what they did. Let's do it here. I I think there's a lot of misinformation that goes out and unfortunately people don't question it. They just sign it. And what's worse is people will sign contracts and then read them after the fact, after they've already bound into this contractual agreement and it's like, you know, you can't get help after the fact you already signed, you know, so you can't dispute it. You can't challenge it. You can't change it. You got to do that ahead of time.
1: Well, that's a really good point too. And I think, often in our industry, the contract side is somewhat overlooked because they're not necessarily binding, right? Like your rate can fluctuate. You don't need to pick up the load, even if you commit to it. But the reality is, is what your point is, is the insurance requirements are. And if you haven't met them and you've signed it, then you are subject to them. So what are some of the things like, you know, new brokers should be looking for in a contract? What are the things that they shouldn't be looking for? And what are the things that they need, I guess, or?
2: The the big thing I coach and like talk to the brokers on is it's all due diligence and it's about making sure that they understand the product that they wanna ship, right? The type of commodity or cargo that they have a good understanding of that. So when they're hiring carriers or selecting carriers to come do it that the carrier actually can fulfill that agreement and have the skill set to deliver the commodity like protect yourself at that front. The other component is is, I guess, just basic understanding of how the insurance applies in a claim contingent cargo isn't gonna step in and be the first responding policy to pay, right? You're gonna go back to the carrier. So making sure that that carrier's insurance is up to date, making sure they have adequate coverage, the old age adage of, hey, I just need 100,000 cargo. I mean, that was probably in the 80s when that was formed and never got updated. I mean, the cost of goods of, well, clothes, shoes, produce, everything. everything, I'm willing to bet I mean, 100,000 might cover maybe what, 20% of all the load ship. I, a lot of those loads are going to be well in excess of 100,000 for value. And, Even last
1: year, lumber was a great yeah. example of that. Lumber had just historically <laughs> yeah. been like half of that. And then you were seeing lumber loads, you know, over six figures as almost like a standard, just because the price of lumber went up 700% during the pandemic.
0: Yeah. We talk well, about it, inflation being at an all-time high and high, and cost of goods skyrocketing, but this $100,000 standard uh, cargo policy has not changed <laughs> over no. time to keep up with it. And, it happens, so, and
2: here's, here's the importance of that kind of to get back or circle all the way around. The claim for that cargo should and would be paid by the carrier, the trucking company that's delivering it if something happens, right? Unless they're, they've they got the CarMac and it's one of the things that they're not responsible for. But if they're negligent, their insurance applies, Yep. Then the contingent cargo kicks in. So it's just making sure you understand how the basics of insurance work. I mean, an insurance broker would be able to help you uh, discuss that and coach you on it and hopefully provide some guidance. That's are So
0: we're I, I, I do want to – you brought up Carmack. Can you – because that's something that we have not talked about on our show, at least in detail, that is a Carmack uh, amendment or agreement. Um, can you give like a, a Barney-style explanation of what that is? And yeah, what that for is?
2: sure. It's just, it's just a list of things that um, – a carrier cannot be held liable for like acts of god um public enemy acts of war like there's just certain things that are gonna happen and the insurance isn't gonna cover it right um and and it's just out of everybody's uh um hands and, and there's no negligence involved um so Sometimes there, that's where you got to find a good, you know, shipper agreement where it's like, okay, what's the actual cost of damaged goods? What was actually damaged? We're going to mitigate this. You end up settling stuff out of pocket. Like you said, you can buy insurance for almost everything, but insurance doesn't cover everything. There's scenarios yeah. that just happen that it's, insurance just isn't going to pay for it. I'll
0: tell you the, I've seen, at least at my company, claims that have popped up. It is, like you said, you're not settling out of pocket. There's a lot of situations in which it is not worth it for us to file a claim, especially the ones that are a very small amount or it's just going to be a hassle or a pain in the butt yeah. to try and to facilitate that. It's like, hey, it's $5,000 in damages and there's probably a little bit of fault on this person's part and a little bit of fault on that person's part. You try to come to an agreement where it's like, let's all take responsibility for the portion that we had. Like, so, like for example, I'll give you a real, real example. We had a, um, a load that for I'll, I'll keep the long story short but a broker sent in, or hired a um, dry van for a reefer shipment right um so dry van shows up and um, <laughs> is aware that they're loading refrigerated product onto his dry van and still lets it happen the shipper knows that they're loading refrigerated goods onto a dry van and it gets to the to the destination which was actually our customer was the receiver and they're like what the hell happened here? Like, and so we, we came down and we're like, yeah, there was negligence on, there was oversight for hiring the wrong kind of truck. But like at the same time, what, what driver and which uh, shipping facility, like all three parts were like, had oversight on that, but, and everyone's trying to play that, the blaming game. So we're like, Hey, we, we all have a little bit of ownership in this. Let's figure out what the cost of the, the claim was. And we'll take X percentage and you take experts, you know, it's just, it's insane um, because, you know, an insurance, a carrier's insurance policy is probably going to fight tooth and nail to, to not pay out uh, because of broker negligence or, you know, loading negligence or whatever. And you end up paying out of pocket for a lot of this stuff, it seems like.
2: So. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned earlier insurance is the transfer of risk, right? And what risk do you, are you willing to transfer off? to somebody else and what are you willing to pay for and that kind of stuff. And and there's differences in insurance policies too. So carrier insurance policies are not all created equal. that's a big thing that I end up dealing with is like, well, this policy is cheaper or this is this. It does have refrigeration breakdown. So that kind of thing should be covered. But a lot of policies exclude driver error. Something as simple as wrong temp, right? They don't temp it correct and it ends up spiking or freezing or whatever happens, the load gets rejected. A lot of times you're out of pocket on that, um, the carrier typically, because it's negligence. But um, in that scenario, yeah, that's, yeah, you're like, let's just all come to the table, split it a third, 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 and call it a day and yeah. move on, you know, but yeah, that's so crazy. W-
0: Let's talk carrier insurance, um, kind of the same as we talked about broker, what's required and what's common. What does yeah. that
2: look like for a motor carrier? Yeah, man. Um, the big thing for the broker to recognize is is if they're going to carry, let's say, a million or two million on the hired auto or the liability, and then let's just call it a 100,000 on the cargo because that's what most do, but really it should be equivalent or exceed the actual value of any of the goods that are being hauled. Um, it needs to be across the board for all the carriers. So your contract should state, and that certificate that you collect should have auto liability you know let's say a million or 2 million whatever they end up landing on cargo of 100 200,000 whatever the cargo agreed limit is it just needs to be uniform across and you want it to match yours um, at least match yours cuz remember the brokers going after the carrier's insurance in the event something happens if it's their fault so you just want to make sure they have adequate coverage um, so liability cargo I know you guys had mentioned you had a situation come up with a trailer when somebody has to take a different trailer or potentially, you know, drop and hook or, or something like that. Then you want to make sure they've got trailer interchange. If there's a written agreement, if there's not, you can get non-owned trailer, but then um, build in some physical damage. Or some of the companies I work with call it a Bailey coverage, which is super broad. It'll cover intermodal containers, trailers. Come on. It'll it'll cover pretty much all of it. So, Cool. Okay.
0: Got it. Yeah. And I think one of the things to point out too is like, I often see brokers that have 250K in contingent cargo and they're like, oh, you know, because the value of the, the goods is over a hundred thousand, we're good here because my carrier only has a hundred thousand. And it's like, well, no, that is not, that is not the case. And I think it's important to see, to make sure that you have the carrier that you're contracting, hiring has the adequate amount of Primary cargo insurance to cover the value of the freight that's on board, and I think uh, with a lot of these smaller shippers that don't have contracts that require you to sign agreeing that you're going to carry what you know X amount yourself, and that your carriers will have X amount in coverage, you get these these younger brokers or inexperienced brokers. They're hauling super expensive stuff that they have no idea that if there's a claim or there's damages, like the carrier's insurance is not going to cover all that, and then good luck getting that getting that money back to your customer. Nah, carriers so. well, I wanted to ask a question.
1: Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I mean, about the same oh. thing. We were talking about insurance last time, but go ahead, Cameron, finish for your thought.
2: I was just going to make cool. mention just real quick because you brought it up for that. The broker, and it amazes me, a lot of brokers don't buy this policy for whatever reason. Cool. There's actually an excess cargo that applies kind of like as a first response above the carrier's cargo for that instance. And, and it's a reporting form. So you pay... Uh, a base level premium. It's not much, and then in, in that month, if you use, let's say, fifty thousand or a hundred thousand, because you needed an excess of a hundred above the carrier, you just pay that premium on a monthly basis, depending on what you used. And a lot of people don't know, either know about it, or are educated about it, or don't think they need it. So, just to touch on that, anyways, yeah, what's up, ben? Yeah. So we're talking about making sure they're valid. And this is something that came up. We talked a little
1: bit off air. So the first question I have is if I am named on an insurance's deck page as a brokerage, right? Are you obligated to notify me if that carrier doesn't pay their premium?
2: It depends. And this all comes down to the contract. It depends on the agreement. It depends what the broker requires for. Um, are they listed as additional interest or insured on the policy? Do they have a waiver of subrogation? Like there's there certain contractual things which will be all handled at a legal level with the attorneys drafting their contract. That will dictate whether or not there's notification or not. Now, if they're, if you're just simply listed on a certificate, that's like – proof of insurance stating, hey, this person has active insurance at the time of that certificate being printed. The secondary thing to that, there's services out there like you mentioned, or the easy way is you just go on FMCSA, safer lookup, pull up the carrier by DOT, go to the insurance and see, oh, okay, they've got active insurance. Or it'll say canceled or pending cancel. If it's pending cancel, in my opinion, it's worth an extra step to find out from the insurance company, hey, is this insurance good (laughs) or is it canceled, you know?
1: And that's real time live. Cause that was the instance. And the question that came up was, is this like live to the moment? As soon as their premium lapses, FMCSA is notified through SaferWeb and then it shows? Yeah,
2: there's there's delay in it, but the insurance company has what's called filing. So your MCS 90 filing, which is a federal form that requires all carriers to carry liability at a minimum. I think it's like 35 days that they're required to cover this carrier. So if it cancels or goes canceled, the carrier is typically on the filing for another 35 days till it canceled. But if there's no filings or let's say it's intrastate or let's say it's exempt, you know, livestock or, or some commodity that they don't, they're not required to carry filings, it's a little bit tougher. That's where you might actually have to call either the insurance agent or get verification from the insurance company that it is active. So there's fraud too, man. Carriers, get a blank copy of a certificate or have the ability to print one somehow or alter one. And all of a sudden you'll get a certificate that you think is good. And for whatever reason it's not. So I think that having that secondary, um, step or, um, you know, whatever services. Are services
1: offered, yeah. That. What are some of the services you recommend? I mean, for brokers you know, out ours, there.
2: So for my side of things, what we typically see is, um, like literally just pull up FMCSA, <laughs> plug in the DOT. I mean, that's that's as easy as it gets, you know, unless mm-hmm. you had an ongoing. Some of the folks use RMIS. Some of the folks use the different certificate vendors that manage all of that and will do all the mm-hmm. compliance and whether it's in or out of service. So um, I, I don't have a one that i would refer that's better than another yeah i've seen
0: like so, um uh, like rmi ask my carrier packets assure assist like companies yeah. that they'll offer not just um vetting but ongoing monitoring with alerts and stuff like that if somebody lapses and so one of the things too ben back to what you said about um being notified right and i'm ben i'm curious if you've ever seen this in a, in a customer contract have you ever had a customer having their contract that you as the broker have to notify them if a carrier's insurance updates or changes or anything like that? Because I've seen those and we won't sign them.
1: I have signed it. I have seen them and I have been, like we've executed contracts. It was back when I was at TQL. But basically the way we monitored it was every time we dispatched a load, we verified or checked that it was still valid. And to, to Cameron's point, the other thing is like, I don't know if this was a policy, but I know as a procedure I did and my team did was we wouldn't ask the carrier for it. We always went to the agent and had the agent email us the deck page. So like the carrier, whoever it was, hey, we need an updated deck page. Who's your agent? We would usually go into the system and pull the old one and just call the insurance company and say, hey, is this still valid or send us an updated one, but we never accepted them directly from the carriers. And again, I don't know if that was a procedure put in place because somebody got defrauded or it was just a practice, but, um, but why don't you guys sign them, Nate? So having to notify them because why then the liability is then on the brokerage. to. Yeah. Like, Cause I guess I, I'm
0: assuming and camera might be able to speak better to it, but it's, let's say that a carrier uh, it's kind of, Oh, it's covering our butt that, and this is a previous company that I ran into this issue with where we wouldn't sign it, but saying that like, um, and I think that the, it was written so broadly that it said like, if you know, anytime one of your contracted carriers has an, uh, a renewal or whatever, you have to let us know. And I was like, we've got a hundred thousand motor carriers in our network. Yeah. And, you know, we've probably had 20 or 30 haul for you. We're not. And if they're on repeat dedicated lanes, we can't, we don't have the manpower to tell you every single time that somebody has a renewal or whatever, we're going to verify before we haul a load, but we're not going to, you know, take the time to send, you know, send you an up or notify you that, Hey, they've switched their under, their underwriters different now or whatever the case may be. So it was just written so broadly that it wasn't like we were, you know, we were uh, not doing our job. It was just, they were asking for stuff to clearly cover their butt and shift risk on to the broker uh, for negligence or something like that.
1: And you know what, I did have one of those as my customer and we didn't, now that I'm thinking, as you explained that, we didn't sign it. But what we did was we redlined that and I basically sold them on the fact that we had the ability to, exactly what you said, monitor the carriers and the exact same practices our shipper did. And that was enough to be able to redline it or basically like, look, we're going to use the exact same systems you are. We're going to vet them every time a load picks up in the same way you are. So us to update you on the hundreds of thousands of carriers we have doesn't do anybody any good, but every time we pick it up, we can ensure that that was you know, done and in place was how we kind of got around that. But
0: yeah, yeah that makes, makes sense. Um, so let's talk, I mean, claims. I'm curious. I want to break some of these down because there tends to be,
1: can we go through a one one example? Can we just take like a normal, like I know there's not a normal of anything because they're all a little <laughs> subjective, but can we go through maybe just like a one one example of, hey, something product happened. Product shows up it's damaged. Something. Yeah, product shows up damaged. Let's just say a $90,000 load. So it's less than a hundred K, $90,000. Truck shows up, there's damage. We'll say to half of the load to keep the numbers even, right? So $90,000 load, call it lumber, shows up. Half of it's damaged. Yeah. Flatbed wasn't tarped correctly. So maybe there's some gray area there for this one. Wasn't tarped correctly. Half of it's claimed.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot to do with the claim to protect yourself happens ahead of time, right? Going back to the due diligence, did the carrier have insurance Is the contractor? If they have a contract protecting them, did they make sure they got adequate underlying cargo and adequate, like uh, the other thing that I see pop up too, just to make a quick reference on is insurance companies that are not financially rated as an A plus or a strength carrier, right? And that's all based on financial stability. So, AM best. I know that some brokers say, hey, we will not accept a B rated company or a company that's not rated because you get these insurance companies that pop up with no financial strength that are all of a sudden really cheap. But do they have the ability to pay claims? So, that's something to kind of reference to. Um, making sure that you have the adequate underlying coverage. So, the 100K cargo in this scenario, it's going to come down to. So when what, you say let's who, say, let's,
1: let's, let's be specific. Say, so, that is one, the, the brokerage.
2: The carrier. Okay. So the carrier having. brokerage will have their contingent cargo, let's say in this example. They'll have their contingent cargo. They'll have their liability. They'll have all their ducks in a row and their contract tight, and they verified insurance by this carrier. Okay. Um, It comes down to the carrier now in a tarped load or untarped load, or was there duty to tarp this load? Steel is a big one that comes up, right? If you hit water Uh and all of a sudden the steel starts pitting and stuff like that, that's a big um, issue that comes up and there's a lot of risk and exposure. Um, But let's say that the driver was negligent. They were driving uh, the tarp, they tarped it or tried to tarp it or attempted to tarp it. It wasn't secure enough. And all of a sudden, boom, now there's some damage at the delivery you know, whoever's accepting this is going to basically say, okay, we got proof of delivery. They're going to inspect the load. They're going to look at the bill of lading. Let's ensure that it is what it says it is and how many, how much lumber it says it's supposed to be and all that kind of stuff. That's when you discover the damage, hopefully, and you should with a flatbed load of lumber, you should be able to inspect and find damage. You take pictures, you'll make notes, you'll sign off. You'll basically notify them right then and there. And you'll work with that carrier, Um, Whoever your contact or point of contact is to start the claim. It's important to start the claim initially, get your contract, get the certificate, get the bill of lading, get any waivers of liability, anything you've signed with this company in writing, um, you know, proof of delivery, all that stuff. You want all of it handy so that when you go file the claim with their insurance company. It's really easy to work. It's really easy to show proof. You can send photos. You can do all your stuff to protect yourself. So that's like the sim- the most simplest way that that claim is going to transact. Perfect world, the insurance carrier of the carrier accepts responsibility, says, yes, we messed up. Um, how much of it's actually damaged? What can be salvaged? What is the actual cost? It's probably not 90000 right? Because most of the lumber, let's just say half the lumber's still good. Okay, we'll settle at, you know, 40000 or $45,000. you will end up getting that settlement. The big thing, though, um, for the receiver to do- So when do you it, say
1: you'll get that settlement, because I want to know if there's the one-on-one level. So the, the carrier's insurance, right? Yeah going to cut a check for $40,000 to the freight brokerage. The yep. freight brokerage will then cut a check on their discretion back to their customer for the 40. Yep. Okay. Yep.
2: And the customer, they'll all work together on this. See, this is the complex part of the brokerage side is you've got how many moving parts. And sometimes you have additional people in there too, because it was maybe stored or transferred or, you know, mm-hmm. who knows. So it's like following the paper trail, making sure at every stop that it was documented, making sure that everyone's present. And if everybody was present on a transfer of a load, they all signed off and it's like all well communicated. And if there was damage, it's re- stopped, halted, reported immediately, right? It's notated. Um, everything's there and preserved in the event of the claim. And so that way, whoever needs to be made whole, you know, obviously the receiver, the the whoever purchased this product, will get their money right. Um, and, and that's that's a pretty simple, I think, example. in a simple. Let's throw one
1: other level. Let's let's yep. make it hundred and twenty thousand dollars, right? Let's say the, all of the cargo is a total loss. Let's say the carrier, just like we talked about, only has hundred thousand dollars in cargo, and let's say there was. Let's say the shipper didn't notify the brokerage that it was 120 grand and that most of the loads they ship are below 100. This is a spot load that got sent over to a brokerage. Nobody said this exceeds 100K. So the brokerage has their 100, right? And contingent. The asset company, the truck, has 100. How yep. would that play out? What does the bill of lading say, <laughs> right? The BOLs typically, they don't have values on all the BOLs.
2: There's a value somewhere attached with it or like the purchase and agreement, right? There has to be a value listed somewhere. So it's whatever comes with that. And let's say the value got slipped in at the 120, uh, you know, really, I think you might be able to split fault, but I think it'll fall back to the broker on that. And if you don't have coverage, if you are only at that 100,000, it was a total loss, you're coming out of pocket 20K like for a simplistic answer.
1: So a point, right, to everybody out there, this is why you've got to ask load value, even if it's a customer you ship with regularly, because again, from what you're saying, like I could be liable for negligent for confirming what I'm assuming, right?
2: Yeah, and I guess it'd be on the freight bill, right? Like whatever portion will show what you're shipping and the value, like it has to be listed because you're not just going to blindly take a load, I I would hope, (laughs) so...
0: Now, let me ask you a a scenario question here. So, um, high deductibles for a carrier's insurance policy. So, I've had examples before where we'll say there's a $5,000 deductible on the carrier's cargo policy. The claim is only for $3,000. And we're like, you know, we're never going to get that money out of the carrier. We're we're not even going to file the claim. We could try to ask them for the money, but they're just going to... They're just going to basically tell us to be, you know, go pound stone and um, we'll never work with them again type thing. We're out of pocket. So um, is there any, well, I guess first part, what would be considered like a standard deductible for a, um, a insurance policy for a motor carrier? And where would you kind of put a threshold at? This is a little high. You should maybe.
2: Take some yeah, costs, And that's right? such yeah. a sub- subjective question because based on the carrier's strength, financial strength or situation, you know, we've got folks that will have 50,000 deductibles where they'll still settle out the claim out of pocket because they're a fleet, right? Or they're a large organization, which most likely you have a relationship with, you're going to get paid if you file that claim because they got a claims department. If they're small, let's say it's an owner op trying to save money. They got a $5,000 deductible because that's the only way they can afford to buy the insurance and like, like, this market's tough right now, they got a truck note, they've got gas bills, they got their insurance bill, like you know that there's no money there, you would still probably go through the proper steps, notification, file the claim because their insurance is on file. So you can still file a claim directly with the insurance company. The insurance company would then work with you um, to help settle out the claim and then that carrier is going to owe the insurance company the deductible. Now, okay. it's a good if it's a good carrier that wants to maintain the relationship, like you guys are just going to work together on that. And I think the threshold there's not really one. It's all subjective. Like what is worth your time and what is worth like just cutting the loss and like moving forward to just maintain the relationship at what point, right? And there's I mean COVID, I think shifted, you know, a little bit of that, like people have situations that come up where you can sympathize and say, hey, we'll work with you, like, just pay something like, like, let's come to some sort of agreement or compromise where we can just make this, make it right again, so we can continue working. But you're right, some people will just blow the bridge up and say peace, and you'll never get your money back, unfortunately, but you can still file on their insurance, though. I mean, that's why they have it. So
0: fair enough. And you got any other... uh, Oh, here's a... No, I want want to save the produce stuff for our blue book specific claim episode. So we'll, we'll stay away from uh,
2: that. And the big thing, I think just to make mention on the produce, and this comes to the brokerage due diligence is not all insurance contracts are created equal. um, Not all insurance policies, and I'm not going to name companies or contracts or anything. It's just a conversation that needs to be had is just because it has reefer breakdown or refrigeration breakdown does not mean that if a load gets rejected due to temp, and if it was a driver error, that it will be covered by the carrier's insurance policy. That's just like one thing I want to throw out. Some contracts do and some companies are great. They will settle claims and there's a reason that they're like held in a certain regard. Others aren't. So it's just something to be cautious of.
0: The other thing too is excluded commodities, right? Because when you get that insurance certificate, (laughs) it doesn't tell you what's excluded on there or what's included. It just has amounts and dates.
2: Yeah. But that's due diligence, right? Making sure you know what you're shipping and making sure the person that's hauling it knows what they're doing. The
0: common theme in this whole discussion is, as a freight broker, do your due diligence and prevention is going gonna, is gonna to be the, the key to success here instead of you know, hand, dealing with the headaches down the road. So well, good stuff, good conversation. I'm going to give a, uh, we got a Q&A s- section here, but first I'm going to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting technology development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean can offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them online at www.leangroup.com. That's L-E-A-N group.com. All right, so um, Cameron, I don't know how many of these are uh, insurance related, but feel free to hop in if you want. Otherwise, Ben and I can uh, take the reins here. Our first question is, This is, uh, let's see, what is a good starting compensation package starting fresh as a freight broker? So, Ben, I'm going to assume we're going W 2 here. So, someone's, let's say they're fresh out of college, they get recruited by a local freight brokerage company or a local branch of a big company. Um, I'm going to go ahead and and say base compensation depends on what you're doing. Uh, If you're a cradle to grave freight broker, which means you're doing sales and you're covering your own loads. Um you can expect probably to get somewhere in the neighborhood of like thirty five to forty thousand dollar base salary and then maybe ten to twenty percent commission on you know profit for the loads that you move. Um, what do you think? I mean, we're in the ballpark there.
1: Yeah, give or take. I mean, like I'd say it's been up a little bit to what we're talking about inflation wise. I mean, I'd say it's mm, like thirty seven is probably around the lower end to like forty two to start. And I think commissions commensurate with that are like closer to 10 to 25 Mm -hmm. around there. 25 is about the most you'll see W-2 or that I've seen out there. That's for like a new customer that you've brought in. If you've been given an account, they're usually like 15% maybe or 10%, maybe 20, but that's about what you tend to see. I want to
0: hit on the, um, if let's say you're not cradle to grave. So maybe you're just an account manager. You're just a carrier sales rep. So carrier sales reps sometimes don't get any commission at all. They might have just a base or they might have like a monthly or quarterly bonus. But I've seen carrier reps that get 5 8% for covering loads as long as they hit a certain margin goal for the month or the week or whatever. So it really depends yep. on what you're doing. I think the key here, the big takeaway is that um, in the freight brokerage world, commission, in my opinion, is the amazing part of it because you can write your own paycheck if you can be a top performer and really produce. So don't be discouraged when you see a a base salary of $35,000 when you know that, hey, I can go make, you know, 10 grand a month in commission at the structure they give me before I need to, you know, before I need assistance on my book
1: of business or whatever. So Well, that's the question I think you need to ask. If anybody out there is looking at and evaluating companies they want to go work for, sit down with in your interview and ask them be like, "Show me the path to a to six figures. Show me the path to 200 grand." And I'm not saying that because everybody's going to make 120 or 200 grand, but I'm saying like you sh- there should be a path there because mm-hmm. one of the big, I mean, we talk about this a lot. One of the reasons I love this industry is you can write your own paycheck, literally. Like this is one oh. of the only only industries I've ever seen where somebody with legitimately no college degree can make millions of dollars a year, literally, in their own book of business. Like yeah. definitely not the, the exception of the
0: rule. I've seen it happen. Yeah, I, I mean, want to add to that too, because you bring up a good point, Ben. There are companies that almost penalize you when you get bigger because they yes. they force you then like they're going to assign you an operations team or something like that. And if you want to grow, you have to then give up a percentage of your commission to somebody else just to get bigger. And it's like, well, I don't want to want to put more work in just to make the same make amount of less for a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Good question though. Um, all right. Next question. When a shipper asks me to quote a lane, how and where do I get that information? Um, all right. All right. So uh, two, two or three examples here, um, you could look at data online. So you've got rating tools like from DAT and freight waves and all kinds of stuff. You can actually call three to five carriers and see what they're willing to take that load for. And that'll kind of give you a range of what the market's telling you right now. Um, you could look at your historical data inside of your company's software or TMS and get an idea of what you've run it for with certain carriers in the past. Um, what else do you have? On that one, Ben.
1: Yeah, check your internal TMS to see what maybe you've run it in the past. Maybe someone else in your company has run this lane. Check the market, DAT, rate view. Also recommend you check the load board, not just rate view, to see what the market's doing right now for that lane. It'll give Yeah, you what a good broker's idea. offering. Yeah. What are they offering? What is your competition in this lane for a similar load offering to the truck side of the market, right? That's yep. how you know where you're going to fall that day. And then again, the one like you said, I think,
0: phone yeah. calls. Call, call drivers. And that's the one I think a lot of people fail to do is uh, make the outbound calls, right? You know, hey, may, maybe that truck's already covered, but what what were they asking for on that lane? And that'll give you an post,
1: idea. Post the lane up a week ahead of time. If your customer's asking you for it and you got time, throw that lane up today and see what you're getting from the carriers that are calling in that are willing to run it for you.
0: Yep. Last question. This one's relevant right now. Is why are some shippers requesting outbound rates from a certain area so cheap, for example, a dollar a mile when the national average is double or triple that. So to give context that somebody was asking, why is it 85 cents a mile to get out of Florida right now? Well, what did There's Dean a say right before this? Coming. He said he was seeing 50 cents out of Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Dean like right from now. DAT just told us 50 cents a mile out of Florida right now. Because so got- those are the same lanes that when you're going. Okay. So let's forget about a hurricane, right? Let's say it's, let's say it's, uh prime time for um, watermelons. We'll say prime time citrus in Florida, right? Where there's a, there's a huge demand to get trucks out of Florida. Well, people will take pennies on the dollar to get into Florida just to get that high paying freight out. And that is the way that the market works. And the and same Florida thing goes when a hurricane comes in, they'll take, they'll just want to cover their gas costs or even take a small loss to get the hell out of there. Cause they know that the demand for trucks, when this thing clears is going to be
1: through the roof and that's where you'll make up for it. And where you will see this, where it's most exaggerated, are when you can't get there from all four directions, like north, south, east, and west. So Florida Peninsula means if you're going to come and get a load from Miami, you came from Georgia. You did not come from Cuba. You didn't come from the Bahamas. If you were in northeast Maine, you likely didn't come from Canada because if it's a U.S. load picking up and dropping in the U.S., you can't even pull from a carrier north. Same thing where Cameron's from. Northwest, you're pulling out of the corner of the United States. Trucks are only getting there from one direction. They're not coming from north unless, you know, well, they're literally not because you can't load a load into the U.S. from a Canadian carrier. So. Exactly. Well, good stuff.
0: Uh, good Q&A. It is time for some week four NFL predictions. Now we've got we've got three teams we've got to look at. I want to start with Cameron's uh, 49ers. Monday night, um, hosting the L.A uh Rams. Or no, you guys are. Yeah, yeah. No, it's,
2: it's the Rams. It's the, the Rams. Our most, mo, our most hated team. And actually, last year, just real quick, I, I predict, obviously, the Niners on this because I'm biased. You know, and I'm <laughs> biased on this. Predicting what's and, and we always do well. I, I did go to the Monday night game last year in San Francisco when they beat the Rams and then kicked off a decent run into the playoffs. So we're, we're going with the, my team.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I'm looking at it here. San Francisco is a uh, one and a half point favorite
2: on that game. So let's go. Hopefully, Jimmy G can just manage the game, and then our people are healthy. That's all. Let
0: me ask you this: Are Are you a, Do you like Jimmy G? You fan?
2: Uh, I'm glad they kept him because yeah. Trey Lance obviously was a gamble, and he's a running quarterback. And look what happened. Yeah. Um, so the highest paid backup, quote unquote. I, I think that Shanahan knew what was happening. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like Jimmy G. Yeah, he, he's a good manager. He's not an all star, but he'll manage the game to get us in a position.
0: Yep. Um, so that's Monday night. Thursday night is uh Pittsburgh at Cleveland. So and Ben, there there's another uh, nice little last rivalry week.
1: for you. Well last week was Thursday at Cleveland. We play the Jets this week. I think. Oh, don't I'm we? sorry. Yeah, you're right, you're right. You got the Jets. Um I was this on the is, wrong page there. It's a make or break game
0: for that's a Sunday game. Yeah, if... I mean, if, it's the Jets, though. Um, the Jets got to win under their belt, don't they?
1: Yeah. If, they,
0: yeah, they gotta be one and, yeah, they're one and two. Um, Steelers are a three-point favorite. I like that pick. They cover three points. Um, I think it'll be a low-scoring game. So... Yeah. I don't think you're going to see anyone... You're not going to see, like, a a 25 or a 24 to 27 or something like that kind of game, but... Um, all right. And then Bills at Baltimore. The entire Bill, the Bills are basically a, a the second string team right now, is basically who's playing. We had, we went into the game last week with five starting players injured. And I think we had like, set, it felt like a dozen more like fell out during the middle of the game. But I think we're down, we're down like, we lost like an R7 during the game. Stephon Diggs pulled himself out like four or five times. Here's what's crazy. If you guys saw that game, the way that Miami is, the stadium's built is that the opposing team sits in the sits sun the Sideline is, is getting beat on by the sun the entire time. And it was like the realville is like a hundred degrees, hundred degrees. It was humid. And these guys were dehydrated. They're cramping up. They're getting IVs in the locker room. Um, and it was just, they. it's like every play, another guy went down and it was on both sides too. It was Miami and it was Buffalo. But um, at one point, like from center all the way to the right side, like we're all guys. I like, Either they got signed off the practice squad the day before, or like never heard of them before. But um, so anyway, uh, see, Baltimore will be hosting the the JV Buffalo Bills, I'll call them, um, and I'm gonna be like Cameron. I'm gonna pick my team, the Bills. I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fight though. So this is not a this is not a game that I'm gonna take a healthy Baltimore against an unhealthy Buffalo and say Buffalo's gonna tear it up or even cover the spread. I'm just gonna say. Buffalo will win the game and it might be a might be a one point two point game I think it might come down to the the end of the fourth quarter as those types of games typically do but I'm going to take Buffalo I think there's a fire under their butt right now after the loss last week and um, Baltimore's a solid team and I I like the Lamar Jackson Josh Allen both uh, um, running style quarterbacks and have a lot of talent there though. So I think, I think you will see some high scoring in that game and I think it'll be a very close one, but I think the bills will, will pull it out um, either at the end of the game or they'll hold off a Baltimore comeback at the end of the game. So there you go. You heard it from us first. Let's see how, uh, how I do. I'm actually, Ben, I was two for two before last week and I predicted the bills and Steelers and I'm now I'm two and two. Hey, I'll be That's back what? on track. Yeah. I had two, uh, two bad ones. So, All right. Good stuff. Cameron, um, where do, where do, so you already told us about your podcast. Where do folks find you with your, uh, insurance company?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, valleytruckinginsurance.com. Um, Cameron at valleytruckinginsurance.com for email. Um, uh, I mean, however folks want to reach out, they can reach out or inquire. I'm happy to help any way I can. Yeah. So.
0: We'll throw, we'll definitely put a, um, we'll put your email, um, in the show notes there too. So if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on iTunes or wherever, you'll have a link for Cameron if you want to reach out to him about insurance needs. Uh, Ben, any closing final thoughts here?
1: Whether you believe you can or believe you
0: can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us
1: out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site, and we'll see you next week.